we love you. Lord, we thank you just for what you have done this weekend. We thank you that there are people in this room who went from death to life. We thank you the chains were broken this week, and we thank you that the strongholds came down, came down and, and lives were free, and people came to know you. But Lord, as we have prayed this weekend, God, I pray that it would not stop here. And I pray that for every single person in this room today, for those who don't know you, that they would come to know you and understand a life with you is all that we need. For those who, who were struggling, who were, who were caught up in the chains of sin and struggle, God, that you would free them. For those who don't know you, that you would reveal yourself to them. And for those who do, God, that this would be a calling. Whatever that may look like, but God, I pray that this would not stay here on a Sunday morning, but that you would send us out into the world to tell of that love, to tell of that grace, to tell of what you have done for us. Lord, we thank you. We love you and we praise you. We pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Uh, thank you for having me. My name is DJ Pope. I'm the student director at Cana Baptist Church uh, over in Burleson. Um, you guys had me here actually uh, about three years ago. Um, I enjoyed my time then. I've enjoyed my time now. Uh, and let me, let me just say, uh, I'm extremely encouraged by what I see from your student ministry. And, and honestly, uh, my wife calls me an angry preacher because I'm not, I, I have to remember to encourage a lot of times. So that doesn't come lightly, okay? That's not something that we just say all the time or I just say. And so things that I've seen this weekend and I've heard from their lips this morning. Uh, last time I came, uh, we had a really remarkable statement made by one of the young ladies uh, in the youth group at that time. I don't, I don't remember her name. I don't even know if she's still in the youth group or if she's graduated or whatnot. But she said in that weekend that she had renewed her vows with Christ. It was as if she renewed her relationship and her vows with Christ. And then this morning, I heard a young lady say that I have learned that we must put our faith into action for it to truly be faith. Your students are remarkable young men and women. We have covered over the last couple of days what it takes to be a faithful generation. We walked through uh, the early parts of Joshua and we took a look at the defiant generation that we found under Moses in Exodus through Deuteronomy and how they rejected the Lord out of fear and unbelief and in their comfort and how in Joshua we see the faithful generation stepping forward. And in Joshua 1.16, they say, Whatever you command us, we will do. And wherever you tell us to go, we will go. And we see this uh, personality and this characteristic from this generation that being willing to whatever God would have them to do, that they were willing. And we see as they come to the Jordan River, they believe and trust the Lord to the priest, continue to walk into the Jordan. And at that moment in time, it stops to flow and it rises up in a heap as they walk over on dry ground. And it won't stop there. They'll go to the city of Jericho and they will trust and obey the Lord's command to simply walk around the city and that if you will simply obey me, I will deliver you and give them into your hand. And so we have been uh, telling them and we have been teaching and walking through their need to be the faithful generation. That obedience is timeless. 
It does not matter and it's not constricted to age, to place in life, to quality of life, but that obedience is expected and commanded from God at whatever point that you are in. And for them, what we see is they must choose to be the faithful generation going forward. They must choose to walk with him and obey him and be willing to get their feet wet and step in the river and allow God to intervene. We talked about great movements of God start with small acts of obedience. Great revival comes. Great movements of God, great interventions start when we start with the small things. And so Joshua, we saw him as a great leader willing to take up this seemingly impossible task of taking the promised land and inheriting it while they would have to fight and grind through. And he takes leadership and he continues to move forward, possibly the greatest leader that we ever saw over Israel, taking the reins from the legacy of Moses and then moving the people forward. And so what does it take to be a great leader? What is it? Is it race? Is it age? Is it background? Are some people just born with it and some people don't have it? What does it take to be a great leader? But more importantly, what does it take to be a great leader within God's body of believers? How do you step up? you ever feel like maybe you're getting passed over for jobs that you could do within the congregation or ways that you could lead the people of God uh, in different ministries or programs that have been set up? What does it take to get to a point to where you are taken seriously and looked at as a leader of the believers? A leader of the brothers and sisters in Christ. And for that... This morning, I would like us to flip over to 1 Timothy this morning. Because Paul is going to give us an idea uh, to give you some background on 1 Timothy. It is simply a letter. It's also known as an epistle. And what it is is Paul's writing to young Timothy here. And he writes to Timothy because this is what happened is Paul met Timothy at a very young age. And Timothy became Paul's apprentice, per se, his protege. He called Timothy his son in the faith. He was as a father figure to her, to him. The, the scripture alludes that Timothy's own father was an unbeliever, but his mother and grandmother were believers. And so he had brought Timothy, and through his missionary journeys, he had Timothy bright by his side. Timothy observed him, learned under him, spoke stepped up, delivered things for him. He was his assistant. And then it came a point to Paul who said, here, I want you to stay in this city and I want you to pastor and raise up leaders within the church. And Paul leaves Timothy in the city of Ephesus as their pastor and leader. Well, Timothy obviously has some problems starting out. He has some issues, and Paul writes the first of two letters that we have recorded to Timothy. And what he does, Paul tells us in chapter 3 of why he wrote it. And it says, so that people would know how they behave in the church. I want you to use this as a guide so that when people are getting out of line or when they are uh, seemingly uh, disconnected, you go back and you read this letter. This is to help you and a guide for you, Timothy, so that you know how some should behave within the body of believers. This morning, we're going to take a look at chapter 4. 
Because in this, Paul gives him the idea of what it's going to take for him to be a leader. So if you will, read with me this morning as we look in 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 11 through 16 this morning. It says, command and teach these things. Paul referring to what just happened and what he just wrote before. But here's where it picks up. Verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have. And notice how he knows the gift, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You see, Timothy was not dealing with a morality problem. He was not dealing with a resources problem. He was not even dealing with not knowing what to do problem. See, Timothy was dealing with a perception problem. They viewed him as too young. They viewed him as too inexperienced. And even we see they viewed him as too weak, as Paul will allude in chapter 5 to his many stomach ailments that he was going through. And so what happens here is there was a perception issue with Timothy. There wasn't that there was a deficiency in his leadership. There wasn't something that he hadn't learned yet. But simply Paul thought he was ready and he left him at Ephesus. But the people, they look at him as if he's not ready. See, by all accounts, Timothy was considered probably in his mid-30s. So this is not a, a classic youth pastor. Don't despise them for their youth, thinking that this is some teenager here. No, Timothy's probably in his mid-30s. But at this point in time in history, that most leaders and elders at this point in time would have been at least 50 or above to be respected and taken seriously. But here, Timothy has to take the reins to lead this church when his age doesn't necessarily qualify him. Also, they didn't know Timothy very well. They knew Paul. They knew Paul's experience and his background. But Timothy, they were being asked to follow someone who they believed did not know as much as them. And so Paul writes these words to say, hey, this is how you get them to change your mind. Uh, before, uh, I've I, been student director now full-time. Before that, I actually was bivocational. I worked as a, as, a, as a youth pastor and a teacher. But before that, while I was going through college and before teaching, I worked at Incorporate America. It was a desk job. It was awesome, all right? Uh, your, your awesome uh, cubicle there, all right, where you can hide out for the whole day, all right, and, and no one knows you exist unless you mess something up, all right? And so I was in this job knowing I was going to go back to school, okay? Um, but I decided, hey, while I'm here, I'm going to move up as far as I possibly can. I am going to uh, interview or, or just go as far as in the company that I possibly can, and then the moment that I get my degree, then of course I will switch professions and into teaching. I had already known what I was going to do. Well, a job came up, I applied for it, it would have been a promotion from where I was at, and I went in for the interview. And by all accounts, I thought the interview for the most part went well. Um, 
but I was going to have to go to uh, night school, okay? So I would have to be in Arlington from Fort Worth at like 5.30 for my first class. And so I knew that I needed to at least get off and then book it in all of the great five o'clock traffic of Fort Worth to get over into Arlington. And so I wanted to make sure that the job was going to be um, one of such that I could get off in time to get there. Well, I applied the job listed 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Well, during the interview, the person that was interviewing said, are you going to be willing to come in early or stay late if you need to, to get the job done? Interview 101, the, question, the answer to that question is always yes, okay? So young people, if they ask you if you want to stay longer, you don't want to, but you will, okay? You will always answer yes to that. Well, I answered yes, okay? I was no dummy. I, I figured, yeah, yeah, of course, whatever it needs to get the job done. But he asked it in a way that it made me question whether or not the hours were still considered 8 to 5, because I would need to get to school. So I asked him, I said, hey, I just want to make sure that the time frame of which I am applying is 8 to 5. And I could already tell when I asked the question, he kind of was taken back a little bit, like it confused him somewhat. I didn't think it was a confusing question. And he goes, yeah, 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 the, it's, it's still 8 to 5, yeah, okay, I so, said, okay, just making sure, you, you know, so we had some different shifts, you know, 10 to 6, or, uh, you know, 4 to midnight, things like that, so I want to make sure that I applied correctly. Well, long story short, I didn't get the job, and someone else got it, and they had not been there as long, and I didn't think they were as qualified as I was, and so I'm like, okay, well, I ended up hearing through the grapevine that the reason that I didn't get the job is because they considered me an eight to five guy. And I'm like, what? The job was eight. No, no, no. They don't think that you will work hard enough. They don't think you'll come in early. They think you're just between the hours guy. You don't go above and beyond. You don't go uh, to the extra mile to get the job done. And I'm like, it said eight to five on the, on the job description. I was just clarifying that. But I would fight that perception for the next three years that I worked there before I would finish college. But you know what that did? Is from every place that I went to after that, no one would ever question if I was an eight to five guy. But that perception hung over me. Every other interview that I ever had, any time that I showed interest in a job, the powers that be it had spread that I was not one to go the extra mile. I was just an eight to five guy, all from that one instance. I promise, I, I, was, not, I was not lazy, okay? So don't get that perception of me now, all right? But that's perception problem, not a work problem, not a, a knowledge problem, not a production problem even. And Timothy here is facing the same thing. There is a perception problem with him at the church in Ephesus. And so Paul tells him these things, and he says, listen, this is how you will change the perception of the believers. And so hear me, brothers and sisters of Christ, young people. If you want to change the perception, here are your verses as we start to march through. If you think that people see you a certain way, you're probably right. Because perception is reality until it's not. That is how the world works. Whether it is fair or unfair, the perception of other people towards you has been based on something and it is our jobs individually to change that perception. Because here we see 
Paul marching through. The first way to change the perception is found in verse 12. It says to set the example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. You want to change someone's perception, you're going to have to step it up. You want to change the perception of you as leadership within the church, you must step it up in the way that you speak. This isn't certain grammar rules that we're talking because Andy Bob is in leadership, so we know that grammar is not like a number one that you have to have. All right? Just look at the sheets that they filled out this morning. You'll know what I'm talking about. But in speech and the way that your heart flows from your mouth, in the way that you project your faith audibly, it matters. You see, because when we put our trust in Christ and we start to walk with him, all avenues start to matter. Sometimes we need to clean up. To this day, I'll tell you, from freshman to junior year of high school, I did not have a vocabulary that would have been glorifying to Christ. And some of you are struggling with that today. But understand what is seated in the heart will come out through the mouth. And to set the example, we watch circumspectly of everything that we do in speech, in conduct, how we carry ourselves. Um, young people, I want to talk to you because I've been talking to you all weekend. Do you want to know what their perception of you is? Do you want to know what it is? Eating Tide Pods. It's as simple as that. Eating Tide Pods. I went to do laundry the other day. My wife, uh, God love her, she is, she's a frugal woman. She finds deals, and so whatever she finds, that's what we use as far as laundry detergent. But I remember getting Tide Pods before the epidemic of eating them ha happened, okay? And you just simply cut the bag open, you pull one out, and you throw it in the washing machine, all right? Well, it's been a while, I guess, since we've gotten Tide Pods, but lo and behold, I walked into the laundry room the other day, and there's Tide Pods, and I kind of just, huh, you know, Tide Pods, I'm not going to eat it, all right, but I bring it down. But you know what happened is I was, um, there was a problem. I started to open it, and there was this little red thing on the top, you know, like a, uh, to open this, like it's a Ziploc bag. Well, I, I moved it, and I, re and I realized that the bag didn't open. Well, I moved it back. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it, luckily I was the only one home, and so I'm sitting there doing this with the bag, and it won't open. And so I have to actually inspect the Ziploc container for the Tide Pods. And you know what they did? Is that there's a little thing with a little red hook that you have to literally put, push it down and then slide it over to open up the Tide Pods. Never in all my wildest dreams did I think we would have to safety lock laundry detergent. But you have to, you push it down and then you have to glide it around to open up the Tide Pod package. Because you want to know why? Because Tide thought that the people that weren't smart enough to figure out that you're not supposed to eat laundry detergent would not be smart enough to figure out the safety as well. But young people, that is the perception that you are changing. You want to lead, you set the example. You must up the game. 
older people. Do you know what their perception is of you? Let me give you an idea. You're dated. You condescend them. You don't care what their ideas are. Fair enough. (laughs) But understand what we're both fighting here. Because at some point, we must change the perception for the other believers. Because if there continues to be a divide within the generation of preferences are constantly combating, then we are breaking down what the message of the church is. And that is all creeds and all backgrounds are unified under one uniting principle. And that is that a Savior died for them and none of us deserve it. But that we are to come together and then move forward. Set the example, Timothy. They don't take you seriously, but you will make them take you seriously because you will clean up all speech. You will not leave it at question. You will make sure your conduct is in line with that of a leader of Christ. You will make sure that your love is genuine compassion for the brothers and the sisters. Your faith will not be wrecked at the moment of trial. You will march through the tough times. And your purity will be unwrecked. Young people, this is where you falter the quickest. In your purity. Because every moment that you open your phone up, every time that you turn Netflix on, every channel, even commercials, you cannot get through without M&Ms hitting on each other. That is what they face daily. And the temptation from their classmates... Understand, church, if they don't have your backing, the chance of survival is slim. He moves on, and he says, verse 13, until I come, until I get back, devote yourself. He gives three things here. The public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and teaching. Scripture should be as a part of your daily intake, Timothy. The public reading of Scripture, exhortation, basically encouraging the believers to take what you have read and then to put it into action. And then we go one step further in teaching. This is the small group one-on-one. Timothy, take the needle movers and then pour into them even more. All three of these are a devoting yourself outward. We have to realize that if we want to be taken seriously, if we want to change the perception of other people, we must be about the other people. They must know that we care about others. Any time that your ministry is self-focused, it doesn't move very far. When your ministry, in whatever that might be, is turned outward and focused on others, what we see is others start to understand that you are about them. And you are there to help them, to minister them, to pick them back up. He says, Timothy, if you want them to truly get on board with you, they must know that you cared about them. And our example here comes from Philippians 2. 
Because we can blame it on other people of why we don't reach out or why we don't devote ourselves to them. And, and understand the wording here. Devote. Pour yourself into. This is not a frivolous uh, involvement with other people or associate with. This is not Facebook friend devotion here. I have 937 Facebook friends. I talk to the one I'm married to. That's about it. But a lot of times, that's what we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ that we've come together to all lean on and to learn from and to move forward on one mission and with one purpose. But it's a frivolous interaction. How many of us truly lean on one another? How many of us pick one another up? Devote yourself outward, Timothy. Let them know you care. Philippians 2, Christ thought equality with God, not a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He's our example, our, our, our example of humility. This is who we model ourselves after. The work of Christ cannot be one of ambition and self-promotion. It's one that turns and is about other people. Paul continues, he says, listen, First, you must set the example. You must set the bar high. You've got to be blameless in the way you are. And that can start at any point, Timothy. Remember, obedience is timeless, but set the example. Devote yourself outward. But then also, verse 14, to mobilize your gift. Verse 14 we see here, do not neglect the gift you have. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, I, I want to make sure we understand what the Scripture is saying here, okay? Because um, I'm not a charismatic by any stretch of the imagination, okay? And this is not a transference of Holy Spirit power that they're doing. Uh, not that I believe that Scripture is lying out here, okay? And, and prophecy, this is not talking about future-telling Old Testament prophet style. And so what we see here is what's happening is the idea of prophecy is basically what Pastor Lee will do here week in and week out as he studies the Scripture and God gives him the words to say. He basically comes up here and declares, thus says the Lord. That is the prophetic utterance that the Scripture is speaking about here. These men have gone and prayed about what they believe they see in Timothy. And they have prayed, Lord, please confirm in us what this young man's gifting is. This is what we observed. This is what we think. Lord, please confirm it for us. And when God uses the Holy Spirit to confirm it within these elders, what they do is they sit Timothy down here and they lay their hands on him. Not to give him the gift, not to transfer some Holy Spirit extra, a little bit extra into him or anything along those lines, but no, they lay their hands on him and they come mission him. They send him out to use this gifting for the kingdom. That's what's happening with Timothy. And so he tells Timothy, do not neglect that gift that all the elders saw in you when they laid their hands and they commissioned you to go. Make sure you use what God has given you. We must mobilize our gifts if we truly believe scripture this morning. Scripture teaches us that at the moment in time that we trust in Christ, that we have committed our lives to him, that the Holy Spirit come and dwells within us. And at that moment, we are indwelled with certain gifts that were given to us for the glorifying of the Father and the unifying of the saints. 
To sit here today and to say that you do not have a gift is to reject the Holy Spirit and God's very word this morning. And he tells Timothy to mobilize, put into action your gift. Um, In the uh, Great Depression era, 1930s uh, in the U.S., there was a man by the name of Mr. Yates. He lived in West Texas area. And um, he was a sheep farmer. And he had a a fairly good-sized ranch. And during the time, like most people, he was struggling to pay both his uh, mortgage and interest on his ranch. And day by day struggling, They could not buy new clothes, sometimes went without food, just trying to make ends meet by the end of the month, month after month. A rough time period in our country. And Mr. Yates was approached, however, by an oil company. And they said, we believe that your land is prime for drilling. Would you allow us to drill down to try to find oil? And for a while, he says, no, this is all I've got left. If you mess up the land, I've got nothing left to, to, to live on. And so he continued to hold them at bay and would not allow them on the land. And, and month by month, he would go, struggle to make ends meet, clothes getting torn, could not afford new stuff, children going hungry, all of those things. But the oil company kept coming back. And finally, they said, Mr. Yates, we want you to understand that, that, a, that a drilling well will be a small thing. And if we find oil, you have the mineral rights and you will actually be subject to whatever monetary value is found. And so finally, he reluctantly agreed and said, you can drill on my land. I've got nothing to lose at this point. And what they do is they, they pick a spot And they drilled down 1,115 feet, and they hit oil. Enough on that day to produce 80,000 barrels of oil. Subsequent drillings would produce far more than that, and it actually was tested not too long ago in this time period that if that well would continue to be drilled, that the flow of it would continue to produce 125,000 barrels a day. See, he was living in poverty while he was living on a gold mine. You know what? I think most of us today live in spiritual poverty when we have the Holy Spirit living within us, promising us gifts to be able to use. And we continue to walk through life and we continue to make excuses or refuse to utilize and mobilize the gifting that God has laid on our lives. And all the while, if we would just allow God to work and intervene and use the gifting that he's given us, we'd see amazing things happen. And a lot of times what we do, church, we adults, as we look at these young people and we say we want you to sit and we want you to learn act a certain way but you are going to sit here until we maybe think you're ready go to college get educated come back and then work and all the while some of them are born on the front pew brought right up here right out of the come out of the womb and pastor lee dedicates them And then we say sit and sit. 18 years 
Our children's ministries are set up to endow knowledge to them about the great men and women and how they moved with faith. And then in teenage years, if we could just corral them and hope they don't mess up too bad in those six years, then we could get them off to college. And all the while, we never ask them what they think. We never empower them to move forward. All the while, you sit and we just hope you hang on. They are not the future church. They are the current church. And once again, as we believe Scripture, all gifts were given for the use of the church and the mobilization of the church and the unifying of the church. These young men and women understand that you have wisdom that they do not have. Amen? You could have told them a long time ago not to eat Tide Pods, right? You have wisdom and then you have resources. But a lot of you, it's getting a little creaky to get out of bed in the morning. The knees aren't quite bending as well as they once did. Can I get an amen from that from some of you? Okay, thank you. Just to make sure I'm not talking to an uber young crowd that got some of that Captain America juice or something like that, all right? But you take your wisdom and your resources, and then you take their willingness of risk and their strength, and you combine them in, and that starts to make a dangerous mix for the kingdom. Stop neglecting their intellectual capacity. Stop neglecting the hands-on action and power that they have. Because I want to let you know something. When we set the example, when we devote ourselves outward, when we mobilize the gift, Paul doesn't stop there. He says, listen, if you do these things, Timothy, not only will you change the perception, but this will be the result of it. All right? I want you to move down with me. The, uh, the idea that he's trying to get across to Timothy here is that leadership is not based on background. It's not based on gender. It's not based on race. It's not based on age even. It is based on and affirmed by your God. Godliness. So if one of these young people at 14 years old have set the example, they have moved forward, they care about other people, they have mobilized their gift, and by goodness, they are a leader within the church of God. Leadership is affirmed by godliness, not anything else. And so he says here, verse 15, notice, a committed direction will cause people to take notice. That's what he tells Timothy. All right, look in verse 15 here. He says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. He says, practice these things. What the scripture means here is to take pains with these. This should be a, a circumspect thing each and every day that you examine it. It will be painful to change your ways in some ways, but he says, listen, Put it under a microscope and make sure that you alter anything that needs to be altered. Take pains with it. It should be something that you examine daily and then immerse yourself in it. Think of a time, can you think of a time that you were more joyful, more happy, more excited than when you knew that your life was immersed in the things of Christ? What job, what paycheck can get you more excited than watching the kingdom of God move forward? 
That was the question that got me. I was going into teaching and coaching, and, and I preached a sermon one Wednesday night, and my mentor came to listen to me at the church. We were not at the same place. And for a while, I wanted to coach and I wanted to teach, and this question wrecked me because I preached the message, and, and he comes up to me afterwards. He said, listen to me. I want to ask you something. I know that you're going into this profession, but I want you to answer this one question. What lesson could you teach? What game could you coach that you could possibly produce more passion about than the Word of God? My trajectory was set. I would ask myself that question over the next two years as I started into teaching and coaching all the while. There's nothing in history that I could teach that could produce the transformation and the life change and the excitement and the joy that it brings to those who accept it. People will notice when you commit to Christ. There's no way around it. And then we move on. And he says, listen, persist in this. Persist in this, Timothy, because by so doing, you will save yourself and others. When we set the example, when we devote ourselves outward, when we mobilize our gift, people will be saved. A rejection to do that. Understand, young people, if, if no one else gets it, I want you to understand this. As you continue to march through, if you neglect these things, if you do not mobilize your gift, if you do not care about other people in your faith, if you do not set the example, we are condemning people to a fiery hell. There's no way around it any other way. People are depending on you to either look at your example, for you to care about them, and for them to see you using your gift. And it says, by so doing, people will be saved. The great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, he says, listen, if people, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with their arms wrapped around their knees. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. Do we understand the gravity of what our lives mean on a daily basis? Every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year of every decade of every century. Everything that we do matters to other souls. No longer do you get the choice to follow your own desires today. No longer do you get the choice to simply say, today I'm just not feeling the faith. No, you have been bought with a price that cost you nothing and you did not deserve, but however, the following and the commitment cost you everything. But it does not cost you everything without payment back. Because Christ says the peace of Christ will come upon you and surpass all understanding. You will have uh, a abiding joy, genuine satisfaction in this life. And you will not have to ever look behind you to wondering if your sin is going to catch up to you. We must understand the gravity of what we're being asked to do. 
Older church, you must empower these young people to step out in front and start to pass the baton so that they can lead. Young people, you must look at these older people and understand they have been through experiences that will help you avoid landmines in your life. That they have resources to help push you and move you forward. You must work together. Committed direction will save souls. There was a Wells missionary who went to the Assam region of India, 1800s. He goes there and he starts to suffer very severe persecution. Daily death threats, people chasing him out of villages. Uh, In this village that he continued to work on, he finally found his first uh, conversions to Christianity. A man and his wife and their two children. And... um, Then he was pushed to leave this village. Very tough persecution. The village uh, chief chased him away. Um, Has anybody ever heard the hymn, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus? I really wish Landon was here right now so he could sing it for me. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. It's a great hymn, right? We sing it, we'll throw it out there anytime somebody's walking the aisle. But this is where the origin of it came from. As that missionary was pushed out of this village, that man, wife, and two children, the village chief comes and he takes this family and they dug a pit in the middle of the village and they threw them into the pit. And the village chief lined up his archers on one side of the pit while the man, the wife, and the two children sat in the bottom. And he says to the rest of the village, come and see what happens to those who follow this foreign religion. And they take the man and the wife, they take them out of the pit, and they leave the children. And they tell him, renounce Christ and save your family. Renounce this Jesus who you claim to follow. Recant. Say that you don't believe it. And the man says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And the village chief gave the signal for the archers and his two children perished in the pit. And then they took his wife and they drug her down and they put her in the middle and they tell the man, renounce your faith, recant Christ and at least save your wife. And he says, the world behind me, the cross before me. And he gives the signal, and the archers fire, and his wife perishes. And finally, they throw the man in the pit. They said, at least save yourself. Renounce your faith, recant, and save your own life. And he says, though none go with me, still I will follow. And legend has it that the chief gives the signal and the man is shot. But that the chief starts to question what could be so great that this man would go to his very grave and not renounce 
what could be so great? And it says that the chief, at that moment in time before he leaves the pit, gives his life to that same faith that he just murdered the people for. And he commanded, he said, the village, you must also accept this faith because I have seen none greater. And the missionary will return and they will tell him the story and they'll say as he was about to perish, he said those lines. And the missionary took it and wrote it in a poem which would later become the song. Committed direction and persistence saves souls this morning. If I can have the band come back up. These guys have been amazing this weekend. I'm humbled to be able to share the stage with them. Very talented young man. The drummer is a senior in high school, by the way. All right, so I've never been good at anything like that ever. So way to go, Dawson. But this morning, I'd like us to stand. And I'm going to ask something. I've already let them know. But I'm going to ask the young people. I'm going to ask them if they'll lead us out this morning. And they are going to grab a spot along this altar. If you guys will go ahead and come down to spread out. All right, grab this altar. This whole weekend, we have talked about that great movements of God are going to start with them on their knees praying for him to intervene. And so they are down here. And and I'm going to challenge the adults in the room, though. Because some people... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet on the fact that some of you haven't been down here t- since 1879. And I'm going to ask if Pastor Lee, Hillary, Nathan, Kenny, and Andy Bob, if you guys would come behind them, and as the staff that I know, I'm sorry, if you guys would come behind them and pray over them to let them know that their leadership is behind them, that they're here for them, that you empower them to move forward, to mobilize their gift, to set the example as we've asked. And then I'm going to challenge the adults. The room is running out, but that's okay. I want you to move forward. Parents, find your children. Adults that you are willing to get on board and push them forward to understand that they are what's going to cause this church to continue and to live and breathe that you would lay your hands on them if you need to use the steps of the stage to come around and to lay your hands on them not of any supernatural transference of the spirit but that you commission them to use their gift and to move forward whatever it would be or mean for your church that you are behind them to press forward for them to be empowered for them to be able to get their feet wet in the Jordan River and to see God intervene as they push forward let them know that you are here for them give you a voice that say enough is enough we're tired of losing people after graduation we're tired of having no expectations in 11th and 12th grade and then hoping that one day by chance that you'll come back to the church we reject that philosophy 
We will take ownership adults to raise up this generation as we saw after they leave the Jordan River that they set up these memorial stones and as the children asked, what do those stones mean? They pointed back and they said, that is when the Lord showed up. That is what it means to follow Him this morning. Let that be what this church is about. Let it be the heartbeat of creating faithful generation after faithful generation as we move forward. There is no reason that these seats should not be filled, that services would be expanded, that we would see the gospel move forward in this place. Oh, if the people of God start to act obediently in the small things, we will see the great movements of God push us forward. And so as Landon leads us this morning, pray over these students. Students, pray for each other. We will no longer tear each other down as we talked last night. We will move forward and we will expect to see the great things of God. Crossing Church, you are filled with wonderful people that are simply connected by the grace of God. Feel the power that is within you. It is not to stay stale. It is not to stall out. But it is to continue to move forward. To leave that legacy that you have set up. I pray God's blessings on you this morning. And as you pray for each other. Pray that you would remember why you're here. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you for your power and your excellence. Lord, the mighty way of which your hand has moved through the history of this church, Lord. But I pray that it does not stop here. That we would understand that the work still must be done. There's a promise that you gave us that you'll never forsake us, that you'll never leave us, Lord. That we would continue to walk through. That we would walk through the river, that we would set up the stones, and we continue to point the generations backward and say, look here so that you can move forward. Lord, I pray that these adults get behind these students. I pray that these students would feel the empowerment of their church to move forward for you. Lord, we love you as we praise you in this moment. I pray that people would not get up, that they would stay here on their knees until they believe that. We ask all these things in the precious name of the one who gave his blood. Amen.